This is News Talks on the Record. Sean Defoe in for Gavin Riley today. Now, this week, the press reported on the death of Elizabeth Ann Dwyer, Dubliner and mother of Morrissey, singer from The Smiths. Her passing was a reminder of the enormous contribution of Irish blood to British popular music. Of the eight parents of the musicians in The Smiths, only one actually wasn't born on the island of Ireland, which is pretty amazing when you put it that way. From The Smiths to Dexie's Midnight Runners and through to Oasis, the contribution of Ireland's diaspora to British popular culture was extraordinary. And Donald Fallon is here with me now for for another edition of Hidden Histories. Donald, good to have you. It's good to be here. It's like Tony Casca, like the footballers, you know, we're, we're claiming all of Britain's yeah, great yeah. musical talent this morning. They've been claiming our sporting <laughs> talent for too long, so now we're claiming it back. Um, but it's it, it goes back a long while. Like Irish migration has been going on for years and years. Yeah, and I think it's important to say there isn't a, a single age of emigration, you know, in, in an Irish context. I mean, there's several, and it's remarkable really that throughout the, the 1950s, members of my own family went on that familiar path to Britain. It's estimated 40,000 of us annually left the island of Ireland to emigrate to Britain. So just to repeat that, it's not that 40,000 of us left the island of Ireland to go all over the world. 40,000 of us went to Britain every year in the 1950s, which to me is, is extraordinary. It's estimated that half of us born in Ireland in the 1930s ultimately made the decision uh, to emigrate. So those people would have been coming of age, would have been in their 20s, in the 50s, and so many of them went to Britain. And I suppose the effect of that was, the effects of that were plentiful. There was all kinds of different effects uh, in terms of sport, in terms of culture. But on one level, you know, arguably they had a massive cultural impact on Ireland too, because you could argue the loss of so much youth would have been very traumatic mm. for any society. On another level, I suppose the movement of people would have a remarkable impact on culture on the neighbouring island. And, you know, Morrissey, generally speaking, is in the news these days for all of the, of the wrong reasons, <laughs> despite, you know, a series of increasingly good, strong solo albums uh, in, in recent years. I think a lot more focus has gone on, 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 on his viewpoint, sadly. But the passing of his mother this week, which was reported in the Irish Times uh, and elsewhere, I think it's a reminder of the, the very strong contribution of Irish migrants and their children to popular culture. In yeah, specifically, like you say, when it was so concentrated to one place, whereas now it's you're kind of scattered to the winds. But the, I wasn't really expecting the Smiths to have such an Irishness. Even the name, you know, even the name is kind of quintessentially English, isn't it? Mr. Mm. Smith. And I mean, they're a surprising band to find such strong Irish pedigree. Their imagery and their aesthetics, I think that that band had a really strong emphasis on how things looked. You know, you look at the Smiths, the, the LPs and the, and the single covers, they're all the stars of kind of British stage and screen. And I think a lot of the iconography of the Smiths, it was kind of harking back to a kind of golden age of Englishness. You know, the 1950s, playwrights like Sheila Delaney, Coronation Street, all, all of that. But the fact that all four members of the band were the product of Irish Salford and Irish Manchester is extraordinary. And I think the, the guitarist Johnny Marr probably embodies that better than anyone else. His real name, his birth cert was Johnny Maher, which is a great <laughs> Irish Irish lad's name. But unfortunately, the drummer in the Buzzcocks, another great Manchester band, was also called Johnny Maher. And just to make things more confusing, in both cases, their parents came from the same corner of Kildare. <laughs> so you had two migrant families, you know, unrelated from a tie in Kildare, which causes confusion on the kind of burgeoning Mancunian music scene. So, I mean, that says a lot about just how many Irish people are are floating around Manchester. There's two Johnny Mahers from a tie in Kildare playing in two of the greatest Mancunian bands uh, of the 20th century. But, you know, Mar, Mar really tapped into into this kind of, uh, the kind of what you might call the, the tension that existed there. And, and he did talk about, because it's easy for Irish people to have this kind of imposter syndrome when we go abroad now and be very conscious of it. They said they didn't really feel that though. Yeah, your parents sounded different from, you know, your friends' parents. Politics, you know, Ireland was in the news uh, an, an awful lot too and you could feel that. 
but you didn't have the Irish accent of your parents or the cultural identity to the same extent. And Mar put it really beautifully. He said, I feel absolutely nothing when I see the Union Jack except repulsion. And I don't feel Irish either. I'm Mancunian Irish. So <laughs> this idea that you had a foot in each camp, you know, you were neither entirely Irish nor fully of the place uh, that, that you knew as home. And I think that quotation was probably only eclipsed by the words of Noel Gallagher when he was asked to describe Definitely Maybe, that brilliant Oasis album. He said, it's the sound of five second generation Irish Catholics coming out of a council estate <laughs> you, you, you just couldn't get more specific than that but you? If, you, if you dig into the Smiths I know there's a lot of English stuff going on in, in the iconography of the band but the, the Irish heritage was there too you know Morrissey's yeah. lyrics are just dripping in Irish literature famously I suppose Oscar Wilde but also I mean even, even James Joyce's Ulysses is quoted in, in, in The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. And some of their most remarkable gigs happened in Ireland. And I think what says a lot about the Irishness of the Smiths is when they came to Ireland, they toured right around the country. They didn't just do you know, Dublin, Belfast, the big ones that bands tend to do. The Smiths went literally into town parish halls and played there because I think they felt that this was a kind of homecoming. You know, to them, it was enormous. And Mike Joyce from the band, he talks about when the Smiths play in Galway, every second person in the crowd seems to be a Joyce who came along to see them and support them, which is very, very nice in its own way. Mm. And it wasn't just Manchester, of course, as well. London, very heavily involved. London, I suppose, uh, every British city is different. And, and the most peculiar Irish migrant experience was probably London because that was a real melting pot by comparison. Mm. If you're an immigrant in Manchester, you were probably Irish. London, the entire world seemed to be there. And it was a much bigger place, of course. You can get lost in London. You had these sprawling Irish pockets in places like Camden Town uh, and in Kilburn. There's very little of that left today. It's very hard to find uh, traces of that when you go there. But, you know, it produced a band that were both very, very Irish and very rooted in the city that they came from uh, in the form of, of the Pogues. And Shane McGowan recounted that the, the second generation Irish of the late 70s in London were split down the middle really heavily. One set of youngsters unashamedly Irish in outlook and culture, while others merely wanted to fit into the native youth culture. And of course, I mean, the, when, you, when you look at the Pogues, I think what's different about the Pogues from, say, other acts of strong Irish blood, like maybe Dexy's Midnight Runners, is the fact the Pogues were a mix of the children of Irish migrants, so just like the Pogue, like, like the Smiths, but also, you know, those born in Ireland who themselves had emigrated. So you had this great melting pot. You had Philip Chevron, you know, Dublin-born of the Pogues, who said the only politics that counted in the London Irish scene were the politics of being Irish in a place that was innately racist towards the Irish. But, you know, that might be true, but you wouldn't have known it if you talked to the Pogues on a street corner that they were Irish because half of them had those kind of deep, you know, London accents, while the other half were literally fresh off the boat and, and very, very proud of it. Yeah, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish is the, the old saying used to go, unfortunately, too often. And um, the Pogues, but as you mentioned, though, they kind of adopted it. They were as much really in the end about London yeah, as they were about over here. I think we have to give London something, you know, of the Pogues to claim for themselves. If you listen to the very early Pogues albums, they're, they're as much about London and you know, songs like Transmetropolitan, it's just this stampede of a song through the streets and the tube stations uh, of London. You know, you can learn the geography of London without ever stepping foot in the place from those early uh, Pogues records. And while they were a celebration of Irish music on one level, they were also, I think, a great celebration of, of, of London too. Did having that kind of outward Irishness and that brash Irishness, did that end up hurting some of the bands in the UK at the time? I think it might have done uh, in terms of, you know, your, your commercial appeal or how certain uh, publications wrote about you. Uh, Kevin Rowland from Dexys Midnight Runners, one of the great pop singers and, and performers. I mean, if you give the world a song as good as, as Come On Eileen, that's an incredible reputation to build in itself. But I mean, he never quite got the balance right. He kind of swerved when it came to his Irishness. It was always, he either hit it totally or it was 
front and centre. And one critic joked that, you know, on some occasion his actions or words were, I love this quote, perceived in England as tantamount to wearing a balaclava and carrying a machine gun. And when Kevin was confronted by, by Melody Maker in 85, at a time when he was very much pushing his, his Irishness to the fore, they said to him, look, you're hamming this up. You were born in England. Your parents might have been Irish, but you're English. And in response to that, Kevin Rowland said, well, you know, just because you're born in a stable, that doesn't make you a horse, which was <laughs> reclaiming famed insulting words uh, from from Irish history. So it could definitely negatively impact you. You know, if you were like Kevin Rowland at different times, really pushing this sense of Irishness, I definitely think it could harm it could harm your sales. What's it like today then? Because you've, you've already said the Irish community over there is quite a bit smaller than it was and London is still such a melting pot. So is that cultural impact still there and still clear? I suppose in, in times of recession, like after the great financial collapse of 2008, things like the GAA in Britain were kind of saved, you know, mm. because when things do go badly here and we leave again, I suppose that reinvigorates the diaspora, unusually enough. But the streets where, you know, Elizabeth Andwire uh, and others like her settled in, in Manchester and Salford. They are different now. Some of them don't exist anymore. They're just you know, swept aside by progress, these kind of little red brick Victorian streets that you know Little Morrissey would have run around. But others now host just very different communities, different accents. But I think every migrant community in Britain, and if you look at the pop charts in Britain even today, and you know where the parents of, of, of various popular acts come from, Every migrant community in Britain has continued to kind of leave its mark uh, on British popular music and popular culture. Mm. And on a tangential point, it is so interesting that this particular time at a time we would usually be flocking from the recession to somewhere else. Now everyone is staying here and the cultural impact of that is going to be fascinating to watch over the next few years. Uh, Donald Fallon, thanks a million for joining us, author of the Come Here To Me uh, books and the host of the Three Castles Burning podcast.